0: Hey there, it's Michelle Pilpich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, Simply Intuitive. On the show, we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's a myth in the wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the health information floating around and you just want to know what to do to feel your best, you're in the right place. Not only are specific tips coming your way, but you can also count on conversations that will challenge your perspective on what health really means. So I hope you'll stick around for many episodes to come. But for now, let's get into today's show. Today I am chatting with Lucy Fink. I am so excited about this conversation. I have followed Lucy for a long time. Maybe you have followed Lucy before. She has been in this digital space for quite some time as a YouTuber, a content creator, a video producer, and she just puts out so much fun lifestyle content that is so fun to consume. Recently, Lucy has shared about her postpartum weight loss as well as a diagnosis with celiac disease. And so I wanted to talk to her about her experience with food and body image throughout her life and how that has affected her. We also talked a lot about thin privilege, being in a genetically thin body, and just how that is perceived in our society. You know, we hear a lot about comments being made about people in higher weight bodies and comments are also made about people in smaller bodies. Oftentimes they're meant to be compliments but can really come off the wrong way and any comment on body size is just never really helpful. So Lucy and I talked a lot about you know what her experience was like being in a thin body, having assumptions be made about her, having comments on these, you know, public videos she's putting out there just to be quality content that entertain and the assumptions and misunderstandings that people have based on her appearance, which was never meant to be part of the picture at all. So I really hope you take something away from this conversation. I mentioned it in the beginning, but I do really want to emphasize we are both speaking from a place of thin privilege. We are both in smaller bodies and have that genetic predisposition towards a thin body. So please, please know this conversation is not meant to... Take anything away from the experience of anyone in a larger body. It is not meant to say that anything is harder or easier in one size or another. We're simply sharing our own experiences, and hopefully, that is something that you will enjoy listening to. So, I do want to have that disclaimer. Um, I hope you can listen and enjoy our perspectives and just recognize that, you know, we are two individuals with two unique perspectives, and that's really all we can speak to. Um, So take it all with a grain of salt if you need to. And there still is just a lot of valuable insight here that Lucy shared and a lot of eye-opening experiences. So I think you're really going to love the conversation. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Lucy. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Michelle. So happy to be here. I am so excited to chat about all things food and body image and your experience in that realm with just kind of how you have grown up as well as the work that you do and being so public. Um, I do want to say to start off this conversation, just to put it out there to everyone listening that we are two people in thin bodies with immense thin privilege. And so we're going to be talking about our experiences and your experiences um, just to put that out there. Yes. So you said you're an open book. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> yep, open up my pages. I'm here. This is going to be practically a recorded client session then. This will be fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> so I would love to kick things off asking something I ask every new client in a first session, which is, can you just talk about the history of your relationship with food and your body from like childhood to now? Yes,
1: absolutely so if i really go back i guess it all starts with your parents and genetics and both of my parents natural body states you know from from their childhood to their adulthood um were very thin framed tall body types Um, my mom particularly was always very uh flat chested had a very like bony build to her. She actually was a fit model as part of her career. And that was her build. My dad growing up also was just like a string bean of a human um, until he, until he hit about 55 when he started putting on like a a stomach um, (laughs) and started gaining weight in, in his like older years. However, all the photos of him when he was young was just a very slim build. Um, and then my parents had three children, my older brother, and then I'm a twin and all of us together just have the exact same body type. So I think it's very clear from someone looking on the outside that our body types are pure, like pretty much purely genetics, no lifestyle factors really involved in how we look. Uh, and for, I can't speak to it from a a boy slash man's perspective like my brother I know that he he also is just like a a thin frame and has done things over the years to like build muscle and and make his muscle structure bigger however my sister and I it, it almost seemed like from the moment we were born onward there was pretty much very little that we could do to affect how our bodies looked and I know that we sit on the opposite side of where society mainly goes when it comes to like teenage girls growing up and uh, what you see in the media is a lot of thin frames and wanting to lose weight. I know that's kind of the cultural, although I don't agree with it, the cultural Mm -hmm. message. Um, However, in our case, it was actually the opposite. And we were working pretty much our whole upbringing to gain weight, (laughs) And we were twins, so we were born a little bit underweight as far as, like, babies go. However, we quickly got to normal weights and – quote, normal weights. I don't even know, but we got to healthy baby weights. And then throughout the remainder of our upbringing, I just remember being in a very small, thin, bony body that um, every time I went to the doctor, I was on the lowest end of – percentile it was never like this is concerning you know you need to do take any medication or do anything extreme however in the at the time which was in the 90s our doctors I actually remember vividly being prescribed a milkshake every night <laughs> which is like actually hilarious but yeah. you know I remember our doctor being like just have a, a whole milk, ice cream blended together, drink one of those every night to just get extra calories. Um, And of course, (laughs) I grew up like doing that and not seeing any results from it. Like absolutely nothing changed. I also would say that um, growing up in that time period, which I'm sure a lot of other millennials can relate to, my parents were not quite as knowledgeable as the world is today about food and processed food particularly. And so our house was filled with everything that comes in a package and is processed and has artificial everything in it. My pantry was filled with mini muffins and Oreos and sugary cereals.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I actually can remember vividly the meal like my my typical eating day from a young child yeah. was essentially waking up in the morning and having Choosing between either Eggo waffles or Eggo French toast or a really sugary cereal like Cookie Crisp or Fruit Loops with whole milk followed by a big glass of orange juice or any other really sweet fruit juice. Going off to school and for lunch grabbing whatever was like available, offered in my school for lunch that day, whether it was pizza pockets or grilled cheese um, along with a Snapple and a Chipwitch. I, I think I had a Chipwitch every day in my upbringing.
0: <laughs> I love those. <laughs> and then
1: coming from school and promptly devouring probably an entire sleeve of Oreos with whole milk, then having a very healthy dinner with my family and having a very well-balanced meal, whether it was some sort of vegetable and meat, chicken, followed by some form of sweet dessert, ice cream, uh, any number of like frozen ice pop treats or the aforementioned milkshakes. (laughs) And that was my, you know, that was like my day of eating. And contrary to what many people might assume like your body would look like eating that way, mine remained as it was. And so in my mind, like I did not ever really associate my diet and what I ate with any external way that my body was going to look, which I know Mm -hmm. is quite opposite of most people's experiences. You know, I've heard other people talk about the experience of like being so in tune with their body and the weight and knowing that if they ate one cookie, that they would rise three pounds on the scale, things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think I ever stepped on a scale except for in the doctor's office throughout my upbringing. But I can tell you that it wasn't fluctuating from a cookie because I was eating at least seven of them a day. (laughs) So thinking back on it, like that childhood, the way I was eating was like, it's so alarming to me now as a person who just knows what I know about general like body health. But none of this really became an issue for me until recent years when... I went off birth control, which was in like, I believe it was 2020, early 2020 or the end of 2019. I came off the pill after being on it for 11 years and out of the blue started having migraines and really poor digestion Mm -hmm. every day. Like every morning I would wake up and have diarrhea and it was usually after my coffee, sometimes before, but I was really like falling into this spiral of, What is causing the diarrhea? It must be something that I'm eating like that moment. If I ate oatmeal and had diarrhea, I would blame it on the oatmeal. Or then there were some days I would eat oatmeal and not have the diarrhea. So it was just like a goose chase of like what's causing this crazy digestion. And then similarly started having migraines every single morning. And that led me down a whole rabbit hole of brain scans, going to a neurologist, getting just – searching for like, do I have a tumor? Why do I all of a sudden have a migraine every single day? And luckily had just gotten some random blood work that showed that I had um, elevated liver enzymes, which was very random. Went to a gastroenterologist to get it checked out who took more blood, who then told me that I had the antibodies that would indicate that I was celiac. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I followed up with an endoscopy and confirmed that I had, like, what they called early stage celiac. I cut out gluten immediately that day. That was January 2021. All these years are
0: really confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially pandemic years, it's it really hard. January
1: 2021 because it wasn't, like, the start of the pandemic. Yeah. It was after that. So January 2021 um, – found out I was celiac and cut out gluten and like within 2 weeks of being 100% gluten-free my migraines were just mm-hmm. slipped away and my digestion was like hardening up and mm-hmm. everything was really back to normal. A couple of months later I got pregnant, had a very healthy pregnancy wow. and everything was fine, but here we are today. My son is now almost 16 months and I'm 100% gluten-free from being celiac. And so that's sort of the the journey. And like now, I, I I don't I'm not saying that uh, the diet that I ate like caused me to become celiac or right. I don't know, but um, I I do think back on that early diet and it's just very alarming from a health yeah. perspective because I just think it really shows you that you can be. Unhealthy, like there could be stuff go- that's not going well inside of you, but you can have this body that looks super slim and quote healthy mm-hmm. to the exterior.
0: Yeah, it really goes to show the power of genetics, which I am telling people all the time because so many people will fight their weight on the opposite end of the spectrum, thinking, well, I have to be thin or in that quote unquote normal weight, which there is no such thing as a normal weight as a broad definition for the population, but the BMI normal weight um but that could be underweight for someone whose genetic set point is higher and so i also i'm just always telling people there is no such thing as looking healthy because Mm -hmm. you know you could talk about that diet you had as a kid which i mean my Breakfast. My mom packed our lunch every single day. Got to give her credit. In case she listens, they were very balanced lunches. But yeah, I remember my favorite breakfast that my mom would make was she would do homemade cinnamon toast and just put like spread butter on bread and then the cinnamon sugar and put it in the toaster oven. That sounds and it was so good. All like bubbly, amazing. And I would eat like four slices of it before yes. school because on like I would butter
1: bread, white bread. Yes, yes, so
0: good. It was so good. Um, and I similarly, uh, probably in high school, cause I got my period very late and was told by a doctor to eat ice cream and meatballs to get, <laughs> not together, but, <laughs> right. but I was like, is that really healthy? So it's just so interesting. This like view of health that we have as only external. And that's just not at all the case, especially with celiac as well. Like you could look totally normal, but the villi of your intestines are not normal at all. (laughs) So like that's going on. So did you ever kind of rewinding to when you were younger, eating that very much standard American diet? um, Did you ever get comments about it? Like, oh, this is going to catch up with you. Wait till you're older. You can't do this forever. Or anyone concerned about your health or anything like that? Like when did the nutrition awareness kind of come into play? So I never,
1: I never had anyone telling me like, this is going to catch up with you, but I do recall having, first of all, I always felt like only the people that were my friends or my family really could see just how much and how frequently I was eating. And from an external person's perspective, I think I would just walk into the room and they would see my frame and think, this girl's not eating. -hmm. And so there were a number of times growing up that, even just as a joke, like my, I I recall some of my mom's friends being like, you need a cheeseburger, or like, you know, saying stuff like, you got to get some meat on your bones. Like, we should take you out for steak and ribs and whatever. And I remember like almost it, it not super affecting me in a really negative way at the time because of, What I can now identify as being thin privilege, which is the fact that when people say that to you, like, especially when it's a loving family member or not a family member, because they would never say that, but like a, a family friend or someone that you actually know, you know, it's coming from an endearing point of view where they're actually saying like, I like how you have this frame. And it's kind of a funny joke to say, you should eat a cheeseburger because you would never, I mean, some people would, but you wouldn't say to a heavier person stop eating cheeseburgers mm-hmm. because that's mean but to tell a thin person that they look like they need to eat especially when you're saying it in a funny way it almost is supposed to be like i'm giving you a compliment like i wish i could look like that too and so receiving those comments like it actually was not a it was not harmful to me to hear it when it was coming in a loving way it was mostly when it was said by people who did not know me
0: who were, who were trying to criticize me and who were kind of trying to accuse me. I imagine as you got online more, like did that yes. become a thing? Yeah. So
1: I, I really think it was when I got online that this all began because in my personal life, there's no one that I know that knows me or that loves me that would ever kind of troll me in that way or make like a body shaming comment. However, once you become public in any way, shape, and form, and like put your life on the internet, then all of a sudden you are just opening up the floodgates and basically saying, whatever you want to say about me, whatever you're thinking about me, here's the comment section. Drop it down below. Let me know. And Mm -hmm. I remember very early on, like a couple of my very early Refinery29 videos, I went into these videos having no thought in my head that like what my body type looked like would trigger anyone to write anything nice or mean I genuinely just thought like I'm just what I'm more concerned with sharing is like my personality and my production Mm -hmm. and what I'm making but I do remember very early on comments coming in that were almost just accusing me of having an eating disorder and that was what was really trippy for me because the comments would be things like wow like i know what anorexia or i know what bulimia looks like and like i've been there before so like if you need help let me know or or so honestly there have been comments where someone has just pasted the phone number for the anorexia help hotline that's shocking and i I didn't even... When I saw the number, I, like, had to type it into Google to be like, what is this? What is this? And and those are the comments that I'm like... Because... Yeah. Especially coming from my brain where I'm like, I have many friends that had eating disorders and I I know what an eating disorder is like and looks like. But as someone who doesn't have it, it's such a weird thing to defend yourself and to try to be like, I don't have this disorder when a big, like determinant of who or who doesn't have this disorder is often visible. And
0: it's just really, yeah, (laughs) it's often not always. Right. And like it just I mean, people saying those things just perpetuates that stigma and assumption that there is a look to an eating disorder. And I tell my clients all the time. My very first job as a dietitian, I was working in a residential treatment center. So there were 12 adults there at any given time who were all deserving of 24 seven care. And at any given time, there was probably one or two who looked visibly underweight. Mm -hmm. And people are always shocked by that, but like that's the reality of what eating disorders are. And these people online just are making it worse. And it is one thing, like, if you know, if somebody knew you personally and saw, oh, there has been a drastic change in Lucy's weight, not, oh, she's literally the same body type as when she was two years old. Like, that is different. And you can see things in your close personal relationships. But wow, that's shocking.
1: And, you know, I would, I remember some comments that would come in that I just I learned to just ignore them because I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to do with this comment and I'm not going to fight back and tell a troll that they hurt my feelings or that they, you know, you don't know anything about me. Leave me alone. So I just often wouldn't write anything. And it was often my own friends that knew me in real life that would write back to comments and be like. I go out to dinner with her all the time. Like, <laughs> I see her. My friend who I lived with at the time was like, you should come to breakfast and dinner in our kitchen because, like, you just don't know what you're talking about. And I, then again, it just was very – it's a very difficult thing to fight back about. And then mm-hmm. what, what made it even more difficult was when I started working at Refinery29 and I started personally, like, working there opened my eyes so much to a million and one things but one of them was the concept of thin privilege and the general body positivity space and just specifically the thin privilege space where i started to realize that you know i'm working for this brand whose voice is very body positive and very much acknowledges thin privilege and Um, I guess there were a couple of times when I almost felt like because I was a representation of Refinery29, but I was such a thin-framed person that I had to just do so much caveating and justifying and that there were certain things that I actually could not participate in because of my body size. So just to give you an example, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in my five-day challenge series, there was... The whole marketing team at Refinery29, like all these 25-year-old girls and, you know, around that age, were all doing – in the year 2017, they were all doing a team juice cleanse. And Mm. they were not like on video or anything. It was just like, the marketing team is doing a juice cleanse. It's so hard. And the concept of a juice cleanse was just kind of becoming trendy and people were just hearing about it. I had never heard of that my whole life. And – I said, this would be a really good five-day challenge. Like, we're doing five-day challenges of being vegan, a lot of other dietary things. So, like, why wouldn't I try this? And, like, plus the internal team here is actually doing this. And I'm so curious what would happen. And I went to, like, submit the request to do the video. And the editorial team actually told me, you're not allowed to do a juice cleanse because of your body like mm. basically being like we can't have a thin frame person promoting a juice cleanse and i was like oh no these videos are not me like promoting lifestyles i'm trying right. challenges and they were like well we as a brand would never promote a juice cleanse and i said well 20 of your employees are doing it right now amongst yeah. themselves yeah. and that is your brand like whoever works here is your brand um yeah. and whatever. It turned into this whole thing where I was like, okay, listen, I don't, I personally know that I know what weight I am. And I know that it's like a healthy weight for what I've always been. However, I have no interest in losing weight and I don't want to be doing something that's harmful for my body. So what I will do is speak to a dietitian or a, I kind of forget who it was. It was a dietitian or like a medical, some medical expert at the start of the video to sort of like hear about the pros and cons, specifically the cons for my body type. And, you know, I'll just give it a try for a day and we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, I did one day of it and like literally almost fainted. (laughs) We put that in the video and it was like, basically I did like one day on a juice cleanse and then I stopped and the rest of the week, I kind of forget what I did, but it was not five days on a juice cleanse. We called it five days not on a juice cleanse, I think. (laughs) And essentially it was just – it became this whole big thing that basically was because of me, the person who wanted to do it, having a body type that was like not PC to be doing that. And Mm -hmm. so there were moments when I kind of felt like – but I – you know, but I don't have an eating disorder. I'm not a person who want. You literally have 20 employees here who are actually doing this for their personal lives. Like I just wanted to experiment and learn about the science and like make see what happened, make content, make a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. But it, it turned into a way bigger issue. And so it, that was just an example um, of like feeling like because of the body I'm in, I have to be just. Extra cautious if I want to remain politically correct or if I want to avoid being canceled or like have anyone come for me for something I'm doing. I just need to caveat, 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 make sure I'm not making sweeping statements, make sure I'm talking to a medical expert. Like it was just a very clear example of that.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. And I have to say, I freaking lived for those five day videos, (laughs) like every new one on YouTube. I was like, yes. (laughs) And it's interesting when you feel the pressure to say all those things and even going back to like the comments people make about you need a burger or, oh, I wish I had your body. Whether it feels good or feels bad, because I know I personally have had moments where it's like, oh, this person's complimented is somebody, is some random stranger. I think I said this on another podcast. Said to me once, "You are you a runner?" Because you look like a runner, and I am. But I was like, oh, thank you. Like nobody looks like a runner. But I was like, wow, <laughs> a yeah. naive me. But then on the other hand, feeling that like defensiveness, it also can feel so bad because there's nothing that you did to have this body right besides like be born with a certain set of genetics and so all of that extra like explanation or even getting people to stop you know quote unquote complimenting you for something that you didn't even ask for it just feels uncomfortable and speaks to just the fact that none of us should be commenting on anybody's body because i wonder what would have happened in the comments section if someone in a larger body did that juice cleanse video you know absolutely and you
1: know i was i think working at refinery 29 like one thing that it did really help me become super aware of is to the alternate viewpoint of a small body like there was one employee in particular who um became very vocal on refineries, like articles and videos about body positivity. And I think she, her, she is a plus size model of sorts. And like, you know, very vocal about sharing her body and and her thoughts on inhabiting a larger body in the world. And I remember like her sharing a lot of information about how she has gone, you know, she went to the doctor, she had all of her vital signs checked and all of her levels tested and she's incredibly healthy. And she was, of all the people around me at Refinery 29, eating the healthiest lunch every day. Like not a small bird food plate, mm-hmm. like a, bi- a nice big serving of like just very healthy home-cooked meals. And however, was never losing a pound, literally was like remaining mm-hmm. in her body. And I remember like thinking to myself, society really conditions you in a way to think that like if this person would just eat healthy food and exercise, she would lose weight. However, she was doing that and this is her weight and this is also what her mother's body looks like and her grandmother's body looks like and it's like almost the exact same situation as me in reverse. And, yeah, you know, I, I, that's one thing, like, whenever I brought my mom or my sister into my videos, I think that was when people would see and be like, oh, this is, like, what they all look like. Right. Makes sense. Just yeah. Be, like She's an outlier in her family because she has an eating disorder or because she's starving herself or whatever. Like, that's not th- – this is just what her genetics are. Um, but, however, being – I guess just being – on camera and and having a social following i think the same way it's such a weird thing because it's like alternate um philosophy but like for the same reason that a heavier person might be sort of afraid to show their body on social media because they are self-conscious i have felt that in many ways shapes and forms about my body because of my fear of someone thinking it looks too small
0: Mm-hmm. And me
1: knowing within myself that I'm eating as much food as I want all the time. Like, yes, I do have a way healthier lens on food now than I used to. Like, I definitely do not eat as nearly as much junk food as I used to. And a big cause for that is that most of the good junk food is has gluten in it. <laughs> so I just can't eat it anymore. But aside from that, like, I I have learned and like definitely would prioritize my body and my my internal health more than I ever did in the past and um aside from like when people don't know that and they don't they don't know that I eat absolutely anything I want and m- more than 3 times a day and always have dessert every single night like mm-hmm. there's no way for me to get that across to people so it's just like they s- see my body and it becomes a conversation about, is she okay? What's going on with her? She must need help. And so sometimes it's easier to just not post a bikini photo, but throw my cover up on if I'm at the beach or, you know, sometimes if I, sometimes I do want to post a bikini photo, but it has like nothing to do with wanting my body to be the topic of conversation in the comment section.
0: Right. I mean, I've had similar thoughts, especially as an eating disorder professional thinking like, well, who the heck am I to put, and not even in a bathing suit, but just like a full body photo of myself on myself. So- there was a time where I thought I shouldn't even show my face on my social media because it's not about me and blah, 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 blah. blah, And I'm going to be crucified for being a thin person right. saying I treat eating disorders. But, you know, yeah, that realize- must be really tricky too. It It is. And I mean, luckily I have had, I've come to realize like, okay, I'm not here to please the masses, not even here to please my peers. I'm here to please my clients and my potential clients. And I've had those one-on-one conversations with clients of like, hey, we're in different body types. Like, how does it feel to be working with me? And so that is a much more productive way to talk about it. And Also just to show, like I, for a long time was so against and still am against kind of the like what I eat in a day videos. Most of them are, I don't even know what, toxic. But I actually started posting some because I had clients tell me, well, nobody, like they're all so messed up. I don't ever see what's normal. And similar to you, I was like, well, okay, I do eat three meals plus multiple snacks plus dessert every day. Sometimes a cookie is the first thing I eat in the morning. Like why not share For that. so Yeah, and you know,
1: also like meant to to drop this in there when we were talking about content, but like on the note of what I eat in a day Mm -hmm. throughout my whole content career, it's been something that I've occasionally watched other creators' versions of that that they've made. And I've seen the commentary under it that sort of just gives them feedback about what they've shared, whether it's like, that's not enough calories or this is great. Love the healthy balance of food or like hate how you started this video with a shot of you in the mirror in a mm-hmm. bikini because that just like contrasts that puts a weird meaning to the video yeah. and you know I've digested all of that and through I remember there was a time in my life it was when I was pregnant when I was feel I was getting a lot of questions about what I was eating and I felt like it was a good time for me to do that video and I was extremely cautious about how I titled the video because I would never want to say what I eat in a day, because I don't ever eat the same thing in a day. Like right, I don't I've had two days of my life where I've eaten the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I called it "What I ate today,"
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a pregnant twenty-nine-year-old, and I do remember though. Like although it was, what I did was I like wrote down everything that I ate in a day. And then like went to film it after the fact because I wanted to like actually get what I was doing. But I do remember like as I was putting it together, thinking like, where are the holes in this video? Like what can someone possibly tell me that I'm doing wrong? And then there was the Mm -hmm. layer of pregnancy too of like, are you getting enough of this nutrient and that nutrient? And like, is this safe to eat or not safe to eat as a pregnant person? So there was a lot of layers to it, but I Mm -hmm. do remember thinking in my head like, Actually, there's one part of the video. If you go watch it, there's one part in the breakfast scene when, like, I think I showed two types of breakfasts because I had been, like, sometimes having the waffle one and sometimes having, there was another one that was, quote, healthier. And I, like, remember on that day when I filmed it, I was eating the healthier one, but I, like, wanted, I felt the need to show people that I also have had a waffle. And, like, I, I just felt like the end result of the video kind of wound up having just so many caveats. It was, like, yeah. keep in mind, this is just what I'm eating. Like, sometimes I have this, but I also sometimes have this. No two days ever look the same. Turned into just, like, a wild video of, like, <laughs> making sure I'm saying everything. Um, right. And I, I think it performed well. I didn't get any remarkable amount of hate on it. It's just, like, yeah. crazy that to go post a video like that would – lead to so much planning and like internal fear over whether I'm doing something wrong when really all I'm doing is sharing how I'm nourishing my body in a way that like I feel so good about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is nuts. And I mean that I think the effort is worth it. That probably was like the best way to do that video. And I've seen some, I think one I I posted was yeah, just like what I ate today. And I've seen some people, especially dietitians, do like what I ate and why explaining, which just I I like the intention behind it, it just cracks me up because I'm like, Well, I would just the why every single time I was hungry. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, because I'm hungry. Because it was in my <laughs> fridge. Right, right. And I'm like, I do understand. Like, yes, protein, keep me full, blah blah blah. But um If you don't
1: mind me asking, I'm sure yeah. that you maybe have like shared this with your platform, but like Did you become an eating disorder specialist
0: because of an eating disorder of your own? So that's a good question. I don't think I've really shared much about it. um, Well, you don't have to. to. No, that's okay. I'm totally open to Yeah. Uh, So I haven't had an eating disorder, which is also something that I felt self-conscious about. Like, well, I'm thin and I haven't had an eating disorder. I... Decided to go down the route of specializing in eating disorders because when I was in school, I learned about intuitive eating and health at every size. And once I learned about those frameworks, I just felt so drawn to it. And I was like, this makes the most sense. I don't want to coach anyone on weight loss. Like, I don't want to do anything any other way. And it is a natural fit with eating disorder recovery. And it's like very much preached and accepted and like that is the way to to help people so there was that plus i knew i liked um the idea of a team approach in nutrition and always collaborating with therapists and other providers so those were the main reasons why um i do notice it's funny like there will be so many times during my client sessions that somebody says something And I'm just like, wow, I relate not in a food perspective, but like I have for my whole life had so much anxiety and like my own mental health stuff as everyone does. And so maybe I don't see things in the same way with food, but like the anxiety shows up in other parts of my life and it comes out in the same types of thoughts just related to different things. Um, And then like the more I think about my history in high school and just body image stuff. I think that's where everyone, especially every female can relate, you know, like, and I remember the times coming home from track practice in high school and like checking if my stomach was flat in the mirror before I took a shower and little things like that, Mm -hmm. which I am very grateful that I just like, I don't know, love food too much that I never actually took action to do anything disordered. Like there were times, there were literally times that I wrote in my journal, like I'm not eating sugar for the next 30 days. And I never did it because I couldn't, (laughs) but like those thoughts were totally there. So, I mean, the disordered thinking is just so present in our society that like, yeah, I do relate to that, but, um, never had the eating disorder diagnosis. I did have a client who told me she would like try and guess if her providers had that history. And she was like, I really thought you did because of how you talked about it. And I was like, that is a high compliment Yeah, that, <laughs> that that's I've learned so much. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just a passion.
1: I completely agree with you about the just general, like the way a lot of women in society feel about their body, you know, not being how they want it in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, my version of that was because of being so thin, like always feeling like I wasn't enough of a woman. Mm-hmm. And I got my period very late. I was in high school, like 15 or 16 and had absolutely no boobs at all, mm-hmm. pretty much until I was pregnant. <laughs> um, they're they're gone now. <laughs> but I had pretty much no boobs and, you know, never had just like a womanly, the way you see people with yeah. like big butts and big boobs and like spent my whole childhood looking for push-up bras to push up like skin. (laughs) It's only been in my adult life that post having a baby and we should actually get into this next stage, which is my like my postpartum weight loss. Um, But it's only been in more recent times that I've started to be like, I actually really do like my flat chest and I like the way that Well, we'll get into that because I've been learning a lot about like my fashion sense and
0: stuff. Um, Yeah. So let's, let's actually go there because I was going to say like, we've, we've talked a lot about just the genetics, the normalcy of like such a wider variety of those normal weights than we think, but you did recently have a point of concern on that low end. So can you talk about like what the red flags were kind of how you decided, okay, actually this is something that I need to address?
1: Yes. So I had a, you know, quote unquote, very normal pregnancy. I gained the um, like median amount of weight that a doctor would recommend you to not in the too low category, not in the too much category and had a vaginal delivery. And within like, I remember about five or six hours after he, he came out, when the doctor came in to sort of like check on my stitches and check on me, I remember her like literally like putting all of her body weight onto my stomach and pushing down on my uterus and blood just like coming out of my vagina. <laughs> and that's like what they do. They like push down to like get the rest of the blood out.
0: You can tell I've never had a kid. I'm like, What's <laughs> quite alarming sound. Um,
1: but you know, she was like just pushing and like I was bleeding out and I don't know if every doctor does that. Um, but, I have a photo of myself like the day after he was born. So I'm still in the hospital and I was like taking a mirror selfie where my husband and the baby were in the background. And like, I don't even think I looked like there was anything going on in that photo. And it was like hours after I gave birth. And I I remember when I came home from the hospital, I mean, I absolutely didn't have as flat of a belly as I typically have, but it was to the point where like almost everyone who saw me and my family and my friends and anyone who came by, first words were just like, you look amazing. Like, mm-hmm. are you sure you had a baby? No. And,
0: from my, and
1: friends, like, from my family and friends, I was like kind of just too exhausted and, you know, didn't want to pick any fights to be like, that's yeah. not funny. But like, when strangers said it to me, I almost felt like sometimes going out with him, if I'd be in the elevator and people would be like, is he yours? Mm. And I would be like, yeah. And, And they would make some comment about like that. You don't look like you just had a baby one month ago or two months ago. And I would think to myself, like this is such a weird position because don't these people know that like sometimes people might actually not have birthed their own baby, but it could still be theirs. Like, Maybe I had a surrogate. Like, well, how do you know that this isn't a, how do you know this is an okay thing to say to someone? Maybe I had a surrogate and I'm super offended and like feeling internally like stressed about that. And then a stranger telling me, you don't look like you had a baby. It's just triggering. For me, it was more so just like, I don't know how to respond to it because I know you're saying, you're giving me in your mind a compliment but for me to respond with thank you feels weird because why should that be something I thank you for saying? So there was, it was just a lot of like, well, he's mine. (laughs) Or like,
0: well, I I did. I (laughs) I
1: came up with a funny one-liner. Like I would just say something like, you can ask my husband. He watched the whole thing. Like (laughs) trying to just diffuse humor and be like, let's move on from this because this is awkward. But there was a lot of you look good, And I think obviously that conditions you to think like, okay, society is going to tell me that I'm doing something right or that I'm looking good if the smaller I get. So, you know, society does kind of condition you to think that like the smaller you get postpartum, the better people are going to feel about you. And, you know, much like my upbringing, those comments or anyone like saying that it looked good did nothing for me in terms of like changing how I was eating or exercising or anything. I Mm -hmm. personally was not interested in any form of exercise until I was six months postpartum when I then got like an intense desire to because feeling like I was on the lower end of the scale. And so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to walk you through what kind of went on here, I was nursing and I had a very strong milk supply throughout my whole nursing Experience like I actually was producing milk before he was born to the point where, like, I would in the shower see like little driblets coming of colostrum coming out of my nipples, and I was so intrigued by it that I would like it and I'd like get little bits out, and I'd call my husband over and be like, Look, I'm milking. I thought it was so cool because I knew I wanted to breastfeed, and um. I remember like my doula being like, don't do that. You could put yourself in labor if you stimulate your nipples. And so I was like, okay, hands off the nipples. But it was like very (laughs) fascinating. And then as soon as he was born, got lactation consultants and like he had a very good latch and my supply was very robust and everything was positive. And I was able to exclusively give him breast milk for, I don't know, I stopped around nine months, but somewhere around eight months we started supplementing. Um, he did have a little bit of formula in the beginning because we had a night nurse who was like giving him a little formula at night. Um, however, I was still like pumping rapidly during those night times so that my it seemed like I was feeding a baby around the clock. So mm-hmm. he mostly had breast milk and my supply was very strong. And I actually remember like throughout the whole postpartum, breastfeeding experience I just want to caveat what I'm about to say I don't want anyone who is unable to produce breast milk to feel like that is a marker of them being unhealthy right but in my case because I always grew up in this like feeling underweight category the fact that I had a healthy pregnancy and the fact that my body was producing so much milk like did I have to say make me feel like, okay, even though I've been on the underweight side, clearly my body's healthy. Like, mm-hmm. it's clearly doing – and it's not by fault of me, but, like, clearly my body's doing something right and functioning. my body was functioning and healthy enough to healthfully carry a baby to term and then produce milk for it for nine months. So, like, that, there was a part of me that definitely felt like, despite being – small. And despite people my whole life telling me I was underweight and looking at me like I had a problem, here's like proof to myself that like I was nourishing myself well enough and my body was able to do what I wanted it to do. So I remember around the like five to six month mark of nursing, there was, I really didn't get on the scale throughout this process because it just was like irrelevant to me, but we do have a scale here. And there is one, I remember my like twin sister who was always a little bit skinnier than I was. Like she always had a flatter chest and just like her bones were always a little tinier. Mm-hmm. I remember her coming over and like hugging me and being like, you feel like a twig. Oh. <laughs> like you feel like a feather in my arms. And oh. and also, um around the time of my, oh, I forgot a whole like part of my life. In 2017, <laughs> I, oh, this is such a big part of my life, Michelle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you ruined it. What happened? I mean, what did we I miss? Have to go back. <laughs> I just have to go back. Because this is related a lot, I think, to the like unhealthy diet growing up. But yeah. in 2017, all of a sudden I was like having this pain and I went to get it checked out And I had gallstones Mm. and I was told that I had gallstones and like was given immediate, the doctor was like, it's not an emergency. You're not having like a gallbladder attack. There's not like an infection. However, whenever we see gallstones like this, we advise that you preemptively remove your gallbladder and um, you don't need your gallbladder. We think you should just get it out. And I was at a stage in my life when I was like just on the cusp of starting to get into more like integrative health stuff, Mm
0: -hmm. but I wasn't
1: there yet. And I was very mainstream medical system. Doctor told me surgery. So I planned the surgery for the next day. I got one other opinion from another family friend. And the family friend was a gastroenterologist who told me, if you were my daughter, I would tell you to have it removed. So I booked the surgery okay. for the next day and wow. I went in and got my gallbladder snipped out. And when they took it out, they like told me on the back end that they felt like it was sludgy inside and that it didn't look great, mm-hmm. which I understand. Like I was having pain from it, but if, and, and listen, like digestive wise, it didn't actually cause me long-term problems, knock on wood. However... I'm, like, personally upset that I got it removed because I miss it. Like, that's an organ. <laughs> I've actually worked through, is with gone. I worked through with my therapist this a little bit because, like, I don't think I really processed it, but, like, I literally just removed an organ and I, I miss it so much. I'm just, like, I feel so bad you were, you came with me and I just, like, took you out. And <laughs> I didn't even give it a chance to work properly by doing any lifestyle factors first. Like I did not mm-hmm. adjust my diet at all. And at the time I was eating, it was 2017. I was like in my early refinery days, I was having so much pizza and french fries and like eating all did the fries. you do five
0: days of pizza?
1: I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just was not treating my body well at that point. And yeah. of course it's like haunts me if I had just, you know, done a few, like, integrative natural things, maybe I would have been able to get my body back to its natural state and, like, make my gallbladder
0: work properly. Yeah. You know so you need? You know those little, like, pillows of different science, like, cells or organs? Gall- you need a
1: gallbladder, I- gallbladder pillow.
0: <laughs> I, like, fully do,
1: honestly, because <laughs> I feel trauma. <laughs> I, there, there was one time I was on the call with my therapist, and then all of a sudden I'm just hysterically crying, and I was just like, I miss my gallbladder. And I don't have anything new for her. (laughs) Like, Like, nothing's wrong with me because of it. I just, I think there's a small part of me that feels a little bit like, well, is it going to shorten my lifespan by like Mm. just a little bit even because I'm operating without optimal body? Um, So there, I don't know. I'm a little upset about that. But just to go to that point with where we are in the story now. Yeah. um, when I got my gallbladder surgery, I remember my sister, i I couldn't basically eat anything for like a week, and I was on like a liquid diet, and I definitely lost a little bit of weight during that time. And I remember my sister being with me and being able to go like this with her hands around my thigh. Oh,
0: yeah, and
1: like t- touch her fingers touching around my thigh. And I kind of remember like from that moment forward, my thigh never going back to being like untouchable <laughs> and i i've always felt i feel like that experience like shrunk my body even further mm-hmm. so now i'm postpartum and i got get on the scale one day because my sister came over and told me i felt like a twig and i got on the scale and i was <laughs> definitely lower than i was like right after i sorted out my celiac stuff before i got pregnant I was at, like, my body's average weight. And this yeah. moment when I stepped on, I was, like, three to five pounds below that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, a moment of alarm for me where I was, like, arbitrarily, I was, like, if the number goes below this number I have in my head, I'm going to be scared about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't actually get below that, but it was, like, approaching this arbitrary number that I had. And I was just looking at the number being, like, should I stop nursing? Like, am I – Is my son, like, sucking my nutrients out of me and leaving me with nothing? And I called my OB, and she very – like, without knowing much about my whole body type history and me being, like, an underweight person, she immediately was like, weight loss is not a reason to stop nursing. Like, I would just increase your caloric intake, and you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. It's not unhealthy. However, I felt like fearful about the number I was seeing and I felt like I really needed to put on – I, for whatever reason, I was like, I just feel like I need more meat on my bones. I feel like I don't want it to be done in an unhealthy way. I just want – I feel like I need to like build muscle and get stronger and have it be like healthy weight that I'm gaining. And so that was my impetus for reaching out to – a dietitian and getting a strength training trainer coach. Mm-hmm. And that was like when I was six months postpartum, I all of a sudden felt this like reinvigoration to dive back into putting on muscle and, and getting strong again. And so I started doing two days a week with the trainer. One day is like a lower body, one day's upper body, mostly strength training type of workout. Um, pretty much no cardio involved, just like strength. And then paired that with working with the dietitian to sort of get her scientific input on mm-hmm. things, you know, ways that I should be eating or foods that I should be incorporating, which wound up teaching me just a lot about um, or giving me a lot of, like, good ideas of snacks that I could be eating throughout the day and easy ways to just get extra calories in a meal or to add extra yeah. fat to meals and, like, putting olive oil on almost everything and mm-hmm. – Having a lot of avocados and, you know, not going along. Yeah, all those things, things in addition eating. to just the
0: milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So I, and that definitely helped change my mindset just away from my standard. Like I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner to more like I need to have grab and go snacks and meals and just like high fat and protein and whatever Things around me all the time, so that I could be like almost eating all the time. And and yeah. what was hard with the dietitian, the hardest thing for me was that I, even though I was at this low weight, there was potentially because I was a new mother and I was like a little more focused on the baby. Maybe I wasn't putting enough focus on myself and what I was eating. However, from my perspective, I was like, I'm eating until I'm full. Like there's not any part of me that's stopping mm-hmm. myself from eating anything I want. So really it was about like almost forcing myself to
0: eat more than I felt hungry for, which was hard. I'm so glad you said that. I was going to ask you exactly that, because that's the hardest thing. For a lot of people I see, when there is weight to gain, it's like, well, and this is also a a misunderstanding about intuitive eating that, oh, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And it is not that simple. There are plenty of situations where you need more of what I like to call that logical intuitive eating, where you might not feel hungry, but you know you need something, whether it's I'm going into a really long meeting and I'll be starving by the end, or like, hey, I know my body is not in a healthy place for me and I need more. And so especially like when you're in that hyper stressed out state or any kind of emotional state, as I imagine, like having a newborn is yeah. it, that messes with hunger cues, our emotions and our psychology messes with hunger cues so much. So I'm very glad you said that now all my clients can know I'm not lying. But but, sometimes you have to eat when you're not hungry. No, absolutely. My hunger cues were wrong
1: because I yeah. was, I felt like I was eating to completion, like until I was ready to not be eating. But, and, and then snack wise, like I think especially having such a limited work week, I was working three days a week because that was the only times we have a nanny. And in those three hours, sorry, in those three days, not only did I have to stop two times in my day to pump, mm-hmm. but I also had to stop to feed myself lunch and the thought of adding in two
0: more snack times was like, when am I supposed to work? I'm just eating and pumping all day. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to hear from you. For anyone who feels like, well, I'm not even hungry. I know I should be adding more food, but like it doesn't feel worth it. I don't have the time. All of these things. Was it worth it? Like, What would you say to someone about kind of making it work?
1: Yeah. I think that the the best tip I had was – to like set up your pantry and fridge in a way that makes it easy to do that, because a lot of the work is mental of like, what yeah. snack am I gonna put together? And for a brief period of time, kind of around the time that I worked with the meal prep coach, because I was like, I feel like we need to have meals ready, like too much decision yeah. fatigue going on. There was a brief period of time when going into a week, once I had, once I knew what I meal prepped for the week, I literally had a calendar of, of the five work days in a week, what was my breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, dessert. And Mm -hmm. I would, there was one, I I haven't been like, I've been really good at continuing to meal prep. I haven't been as good with like keeping inventory of what's in my pantry and fridge. But there was one time when like, I planned out all those meals for the week and then including the snacks, which would be like a chopstick and a, a cheese stick or mary's gone crackers dipped in yogurt dip whatever mm-hmm. it was it was always like a protein some sort of fat good whole Carb. food sources of mm-hmm. snacks yeah, carbs yeah. and i would write out what the snacks and all the three meals were and then i would backpedal and say okay what groceries do i need to order to have exactly what i need for this week and including like all the rest of the ingredients to go into these meal recipes that i'm going to be eating over these days and When it comes to the snacks, I would literally be like, okay, three of these snack times have a chomps, so I'm adding three chomps to my cart, Mm -hmm. and two of these snack times have a cheese stick, so I'm adding two single cheese sticks to my cart, and it was like buying exactly what I needed so that it was all prepared and ready, and I would be like working, and then I'd look at my thing and be like, oh, time for my cheese stick and my chomps, and I'd get up and go get it and have – And then like check it off and be like, done, I did it. And I do know that that style of like planning and eating can definitely, especially if someone has an eating disorder and is tracking their meals for the purpose of like not overdoing it, that can definitely be a triggering way to live. But as someone who felt like medically it was important for me for the other reason to be eating, it was almost like I felt more – Uh, consistent with it when I had it like written out as if it was a diagnosis and a a medical intervention.
0: (laughs) Right. Cause it was, you know, yeah, it it was. And I think that's great. And then there are also ways to add onto it for variety of like, okay, I'm getting these three chomps. And then I'm also going to add into whatever. So a dozen eggs and have hard boiled eggs as another option if I'm not feeling it. But that also like really um, points to the fact that Yes, it's important to enjoy your food and love food and have it be pleasurable. And sometimes it is more functional and like both exist. And so learning to be comfortable with foregoing the pleasure for the function and the necessity also has a place in intuitive eating. Absolutely.
1: And I'm happy to say that, you know, that was about six months ago that I was starting the training and worked with the dietitian a few months back. And I'm today back at the weight that I was just, like, Yay. right before I got pregnant, which I believe is my body's, like, natural weight. Yeah. And what's crazy, I don't know, I don't know about other people, but, like, that, that weight for me is actually not one number. It's probably a seven pound range.
0: Lucy, you are doing so much of my work for me here. Okay. I hope every client listens and they're gonna be like, wow, Michelle's not the only one saying these things. Yes. Okay. I, I always I love to tell people, like, weight is never a single number. Also, calorie needs are never a single number. And when I was in grad school, taking exams and having to, like, do formulas and answer um, for weights or calories or anything, if we answered with a single, single number, it would be wrong. It exists in a yep. range. And, like, setting weight goals for clients in treatment was always a 10-pound range. So, yeah, mm-hmm. 7 pounds, like, that's exactly yeah, how mine- it should be. Like-
1: Anytime I get on the scale, there's probably like a maybe seven to eight pound range that like I would expect yeah. it to be in. Kind of depending, I always think it's depending on what time of day it is and or what I just ate. However, that's been proven wrong many times because there are sometimes <laughs> when the first thing in the morning it's at the high end or last thing at night, even though I just had a crazy big meal, it's on the low end. And mm-hmm. I just try not to really think too much about it. Like I, in my mind, I. I'm very cognizant of making sure that I'm nourishing my body well mm-hmm. and I'm as good to my body as I can be from a exercise perspective. I think actually heart-wise, that is something that I'm starting to think about now is I feel like because I've avoided cardio for so long, because I was like, I don't want to burn mm-hmm. a single calorie, right. I actually feel like my heart health is probably the worst of any of my – other body markers. And there've been, there was one blood test that I took for a brand partnership, actually, that the blood results came back and it was like kind of scary to me from the, I forget what it was, but like basically one of my cardiovascular markers put me in a category that was like at a non-zero risk for some heart event, Mm -hmm. which sort of freaked me out and made me think like, Do I need to be doing cardio Um, uh, on top of the fact that I wear my Aura ring every night and I have my HRV score from every night and at least over the past few months, I don't know if it's like a winter summer thing, but at least over the past few months, my HRV has been way lower than I feel like is healthy. And in me, Mm -hmm. my head is telling me that that's heart health related. And so there's a part of me now that like really wants to start adding in cardio, but is also like... Then do I need to eat more calories to make
0: sure I don't right. lose
1: weight from said cardio?
0: Right. I mean, probably. And yeah. yeah, like good that you have the experience of working with people to monitor those things and and figure it all out. Yeah, they they are all important. Um, and at least the heart's not doing worse than the gallbladder. <laughs> yes, it's hard to go below the gallbladder, which is gone. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. So I know we only have a couple more minutes and we didn't touch too much on the celiac diagnosis. So I would love to end with maybe just a few tips from you because talking about um, like keeping food pleasurable and having it sometimes need to be functional and that challenge, you clearly are someone who loves food and has always loved food. And I imagine that having this limitation put on you could then be pretty Hard. So, for anyone who is facing that celiac diagnosis, what would be your tips or takeaways for like still keeping food fun?
1: Well, I think I definitely lucked out because of the fact that my husband was actually gluten free. I met him in high school and he has been gluten free since the end of his high school days. And he doesn't have celiac, but he had a massive amount of brain fog and migraines and had a doctor like very early on suggested that he try going gluten-free when no one had ever heard of gluten. Yeah. Before and, it was cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Before it was a, a fad
1: and he cut gluten out and it just severely helped him. So he's been a hundred percent gluten-free since then. And it was kind of this like joke in our relationship that i was the pizza girl and yeah. we'd go out to dinner and i'd get my pizza and i'd be like oh sucks to be you and, I'd be getting my pizza. and then of course i'm the celiac one now, no. so now I'm the who actually has the disease against it um, and he just is kind of still gluten-free by choice yeah. just to make himself feel better but because of his gluten-free lifestyle Our apartment has basically been gluten-free ever since we've lived together. Most of our food that we buy and most of the snacks we have are gluten-free. Definitely when I was not celiac, I would have non-gluten-free bread in the apartment and I would have non-gluten-free pasta just like occasionally in the pantry and or I would maybe buy a snack or two that I wanted that was for me. But for the most part, we would order pretty much just stuff that we could both eat Mm -hmm. and I would just flex and like eat gluten-free bread if I was with him or (laughs) have (laughs) gluten-free pasta. And honestly, a lot of gluten-free pastas just taste, seem the same to me. So similar, yeah. So uh, really like I feel like I had a 10-year crash course in how to be gluten-free before I actually had to. Mm -hmm. And then when I was diagnosed celiac, it it was definitely an easy transition. For me, I felt like super inspired. Once I started to notice that it was curing my headaches, I was like all in with it and was just like, I'm not going to touch a drop of gluten, even though I know it's actually not going to like kill me on the spot. I am fully into this lifestyle. And I think for me, the celiac, at least my understanding, maybe you have a better understanding, but like my thought on celiac, especially when you are diagnosed with it is And I feel like a lot of people don't view it this way, but like Mm. you were just told that your body has an inflammation response to gluten. And even if you find that you have no symptoms from it, like even if you keep, even if you ate gluten and you didn't throw up or have diarrhea and couldn't notice that anything was wrong, your body is still responding to it in a way that is causing inflammation that in my understanding down the road puts you at a higher risk of things like cancers or other metabolic diseases. So my brain, even if you, even if like, I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of my family, even once finding out that I had it, would make jokes or be like, I'm going to slip gluten into something that I make for you. And we'll see if you really react. Like as if they don't like believe that it's going to cause a problem. Like, you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna poison you and check and see, <laughs> because I just want to know if you're like making everything more difficult or if you really are like allergic. And I'm like, it's not like I'm gonna go into anaphylactic shock and die if I touch gluten on my skin. It's, it really is the fact that my body has an inflammation response to it, and that can lead to really bad diseases. And I don't want to put myself at any higher risk of that, even if there's no effect today.
0: Yeah, it goes back to the whole idea that health is internal. And so you, there are plenty of people who have celiac who don't have those symptoms, but the gluten, your intestines have these little villi that help with absorption. And I'm sure you learned this along the way. And they get flattened. And so you're not absorbing the nutrition you need. So you're right. Like you're not going to drop dead on the spot and it is harming your body and you're not optimizing your health. So like, why would you want to? And it just... You just have to change your mindset away from what we're conditioned to of like, if I can't see it, then it's not there. And yeah. actually think about the internal stuff.
1: Absolutely. And I, I just do think that in general, this switch, maybe it's living in New York and maybe it's having a husband that's gluten free. But I do feel like it's just incredibly manageable. And mm-hmm. like almost every restaurant you go to, of course, not all of them are going to have a gluten free pasta or gluten-free pizza dough on the menu, but most restaurants have, like, a a main dish, whether it's a chicken dish or a steak dish, just does not have any gluten in it in any way. Sometimes it's in a sauce that you just can't get, Um, Mm -hmm. but I do find that most restaurants that I go to, there's, like, plenty of decent options, Um, and by decent, I mean, like, good dinner options that I might have gotten anyway. And I do think that in a lot of ways, like especially given my past and the diet that I grew up with and the fact that I believe that that conditioned my tongue to be super interested in sugar and crap. Like (laughs) that's what I gravitate towards. I'm like a sour candy lover. I used to get like Mm. all the, you know, squeeze tubes of sugar. And (laughs) I do think that there's like, a part of me that feels grateful that I was diagnosed because I'm telling you right now, if I was not diagnosed, I don't think I would just have the willpower to not eat really bad stuff. And Mm -hmm. once again, none of it is related to how it would make my body look, but it's all internal. I think I would continue to look the same throughout my whole life, but I could tell you I would be so much less healthy from an inside out perspective than I am now if I wasn't diagnosed and so like i i'm the type of person that actually like believes now that i don't know i hate to say like this food's bad and this food's good and this food's not safe and whatever but like from at least my research into gluten like i actually think most people should not be eating a lot of gluten because i think it actually causes inflammation in everyone and some people test and have the disease that's like we really can't digest this but everyone else is still getting the inflammation slightly from it and so there's a part of me that like wants my whole family to like naturally be gluten-free because I see how it has definitely improved my health Um, mm-hmm. but I know that's not like a statement I can make to society just because you know there, there's there's also
0: an unhealthy way of viewing that which is like right for people right. it's so nuanced and like yeah. everyone has to listen to their own gut. Uh-huh. Uh, literally. No penitentiary. <laughs> yeah, truly <laughs> didn't. Yeah. And I mean, I think main takeaway from all of this is like health is on the inside, and that's what we all need to to emphasize. Um, so I know we're out of time, but Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your life with us. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank um you. Lots of good takeaways, and everyone probably already knows where you are, but can you share how people can find you and follow you?
1: Yes. So, my name's Lucy, spelled L U C I E, and on most social media platforms, TikTok and Instagram, it's Lucy B. Bank. My middle initial is Beatrice, or my middle initial (laughs) is B for Beatrice. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's me on those platforms and on YouTube, it's just, you could just type my name in and I'm sure you'll find my channel, but it's youtube.com slash Lucy B. Fink. Amazing. And I will link it all and tag you everywhere. Thank you, Michelle. So great meeting you. I hope that, I really hope that for people listening to this conversation, even for people who have like a complete opposite experience of navigating the world and like have never heard this point of view, I just hope that it- opens everyone's eyes to the fact that, like, even when you see people in different body types, you just don't, it's truly not a marker of how they are from a health perspective, but that everyone kind of goes through their own thoughts about, like, bodies and how they exist in the world, no matter what side of the spectrum they're on.
0: Absolutely. Well said. And I hope people take that away too. Thank you. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Lucy. I will have links to all of her channels in the show notes so that you can be in touch with her and follow along. I also wanted to add a note in here that if this resonated with you and if you are feeling like, you know what, I could use support with my nutrition and my health or my body image. Feel free to reach out to me. That is what I do in my private practice as a dietitian. I work one on one with clients to help support them in improving their nutrition, their body image, relationship with food, and just really get people to the point of feeling confident in their health choices while still maintaining flexibility and not having to follow any rigid diets or have crazy rules that hold them back from living a full life. So whether you are struggling with your body image, being unhappy with your weight, needing to gain weight, having these thoughts of wanting to lose weight, whether you are feeling like you're stuck in diets that just never do what you want them to do and you want to stop thinking about food all the time. Um, or just have nutrition questions and want to know that you're eating in the best way to support your health, we can talk about any of that. I have a link in the show notes to my services for more information as well as a link to book a free 15-minute call with me and just chat and see if it would be a good fit. So you can check those links out. Um, Again, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you will follow along for more.